Genesis chapter 17 tonight, if you'll turn there, uh, we are continuing our study through the book of Genesis, one chapter a week, and you're getting the blessing of various pastors, um, so tonight you're, you're getting me. Um, if you don't know who I am, I, I, was, uh, I, I was here for a couple of years. I'm the former senior pastor. I'm still a pastor. They told me I'm never going to not be a pastor, but I'm no longer the senior pastor. It's really weird when you call your son the senior pastor. I'm his senior, but he's the senior pastor. All right, so in Genesis 17, we looked at this, and we've been looking at this great man, Abraham. Abram, he's still called in the beginning of 17. He'll become Abraham in this chapter as his name gets changed. And and, uh, he was a man called by God out of his country into a place in which God would show him. Even that, as I think of that once again, you imagine I'm telling my wife, we're moving. Really, where are you going? I don't know. A place that God will show us. How are we going to get there? I don't know. Get on a donkey, let's go. <laughs> you know, kind of thing, you know. And, and that's, that's, that's the call of Abraham. I mean, that's what happened to him. He got called and, and he was told to go out of the country, go out of his land, which was a land of pagan, uh, a pagan land entirely, a, a totally a, uh, a, a place that, that you wouldn't want to stay in, Ur of the Chaldeans. And he's told to go to the place God shows him, and he's sent to the promised land. But he's not, he doesn't possess the land. He's a, he's a nomad in the land. He's in the land, but he's not possessing the land. He's not, he's not, he doesn't take ownership of the land. He's living in tents. He's, he's got a, a, an entourage with him by, by this time. And God tells him that he's going to have an offspring as numerical as the sand of the seashore, I don't know if you ever try to count sand grains, a little difficult, or the stars in the sky. And, and we've all done that. You all sit there, one, two, three. I, I've got a number of one of those stars up there, right? So we, we've count, we try to count those. You can't count them is the point. And, and he tells them that Abraham is going to have that. And he's called also a friend of God. God has a particular unique relationship with this man, Abram. And he's a man of great compassion, clearly, as he helps people. He's a defender of the weak, as we're going to see he'll help his, his nephew Lot. He, he, he's, a, he's a man who, at a pivotal point in his life, he comes to now, where he's, he's been walking with God, but he hasn't heard from God. And so here he comes. He's at this pivotal point in his life. We saw the study last week on Hagar and and Ishmael, the coming of Ishmael, and the, the work of the flesh is taking things into his own hands. And Mike did an excellent job expositing that and, and teaching us about that and showing us that, that here this guy, you, know, he, he, you can try and blame the wife. You can try and blame Sarai because, after all, she's the one who's spurred it on. Uh, you know, and if your wife tells you to go sleep with your maidservant, I guess you'd do it, right? Uh, not really. You're a man. You can say No. And uh, he didn't, and he wouldn't, and, and uh, of course, he figures, well, have a, we'll help God along. You know, God needs our help, doesn't he? Uh, listen, if, God, if your God needs your help, you've got the wrong God. So we come now to this pivotal point in his life, and it doesn't happen until he's 99 years old. And you think you've been waiting for something for a while? You think you've had a long-suffering period in which you're waiting for something to take place that you've been looking forward to? 99 years old. (laughs) 
And it says, when Abram was 99 years old, Abram, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Now, it's interesting because if you looked at Abraham's behavior in the last chapter, which by the way was 13 years earlier, you'll find that Abraham was not blameless, <laughs> right? But yet God says, walk before me and be blameless. His mercies are new every morning. We start afresh. We can walk blameless with God from this day forward. Did you blow it this morning? Confess it tonight and walk blameless. Now, by the way, blameless doesn't mean perfect. Blameless means ab above reproach. It means there's nothing that, that can hold you back from your walk with God. That's different than perfection. Christian perfection is not perfection of performance. It's perfection of heart. We don't have perfect performance. But if we have a perfect heart toward God and we do what God wants us to do, we seek to do his will, then we will have a blameless walk with God. But we'll still have flaws because we're human beings and we make mistakes. So 13 years has gone by since Abraham had heard from God. Now imagine that. You're, you're supposed to be God's friend. You're supposed to be the guy that God's speaking to, kind of the man on the scene these days, and you haven't heard from God in 13 years. You ever feel like you haven't heard from God in 13 years? And even the wording here seems like God's saying, when he says, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, it's kind of like, I, I sort of hear, I don't know what you hear, but I sort of hear, I'm almighty God, I'm El Shaddai, and I don't need your help, Abraham. I'm just letting you know after 13 years. <laughs> I need you to walk before me. That's all I need you to do. And when you look at Abraham and Sarah, you can look at the human side of this and you can think, well, you know, why did they do what they did? You know, the human side is, well, they're 85 and 75. The clock's ticking. I mean, imagine if I came up here tonight and I said, well, don't imagine it. My wife's pregnant. <laughs> Duh. Come on. I'm 65 years old. She's, I'm not going to tell you. But she is beyond childbearing years. But imagine if I said that. that that's that's going to happen. And imagine if I said God told me that's going to happen. That's what happened with Abraham. God said we're going to have a child. Sarah's going, uh, check your ears. You're getting old, man. <laughs> it's one of the first things that goes. <laughs> but here's the thing. He, he, we can easily fall into the same issue. We need to believe that God is in, is in control and, and he has things under control. And not panic, but trust God. But that's not always easy to do. We know that he's in control. Do you know that God's in control? Do you walk with God every day as if you know God's in control? And are there certainly not moments in your day when you wonder, is he in control? Especially in today's world right now. I mean, I, when I watch the news, I don't think God's in control sometimes. I, I want to help. I want, to, I, want, I want to do something about this. I don't know what to do because it doesn't seem like ever anything changes. You ever notice that? 
I was thinking about that as I was watching the news last night. I was thinking, they just keep telling the same stories over and over again, and nothing changes. They'll tell you how bad it is, how this person is this corrupt, this corrupt situation, your government's so corrupt, this is going on, this is going on, all these things are going on. But they don't ever say, it's finally this person is convicted and they're going to jail. <laughs> that never happens. But sometimes we feel like we want to help God along with situations. And, and, and we feel like we've got to move this thing along. And I, I, I have no doubt that's what they thought. That was what was in Sarah's mind, I'm sure, when she said, I'm sure she wasn't thinking, I'd love for you to sleep with my maidservant. But I'm, she's thinking, hey, this isn't working. We're not having a baby. We've been trying for, they're 85 and 75. They've probably been married since she's 15 years old, 16 years old, something like that. So they've been trying for 60 years at this point. When you do something for 60 years and it doesn't work, you kind of think it's not going to work, right? But God said it was going to happen. And it's interesting because it says that Abraham didn't waver. It tells us in the New Testament that Abraham didn't waver in his faith. <laughs> I find that interesting. We'll talk about that a little more later. We need to rest in the Lord, though. I think that's part of what we're going to learn tonight, is talk about tonight, is that he is God Almighty, and he's in control. What does that mean? Is he totally in control of all things? He is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He knows everything. And our role is to walk before him. Our role is, Lord, here's my life. And realize that he's in control and that he knows all of our needs, even knows our wants, and he knows exactly what's best for us. And it's interesting because he knows our weaknesses and he doesn't give up on us. You ever think that God should give up on you? <laughs> like you deserve to be given up on? I, I've thought that. At times, like, Lord, I, I, why do you bother with me? But here's what shows when he says, I'll make a covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Now, Abraham, by the way, was not a man of great prominence at this time. He became a man of great prominence. But when God gave him this, the initial promise, he was just a guy in Ur of the Chaldeans, called him out of the land and said, and then told him, walk before me and I'm going to make you a, 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 a father of many nations. Abe's just like, okay. <laughs> like he's not anybody of any great prominence. But he lived his life. Here he is, 13 years has gone by since Ishmael. And he's lived his life and he's living for God. And he hears from the Lord, Finally. And, and, you know, it, it may have been that he thought he was never going to hear from the Lord again. But here he finally gets the word. And what does he do? What do you do when you really know you've heard from the Lord? Let me point to the response that Abraham had. He fell on his face. And God talked with him. 
When you know God is speaking to you, worship him. Just worship him. Just be in awe that he is speaking to you. There's these moments in our life, and I'm sure many of you have had them, where you just, you, you press into the Lord. You press into your relationship with the Lord. You, you, you're there, and you, 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 kind of, you get a word. You hear it. Uh, a scripture comes to life. Someone gives you a word. Something, something the pastor says. Something a teacher says. Something you read. Something out of the word. And it just jumps at you, and you go, that's it, Lord. You're talking to me. And that's the time to fall on our face and say, God, you're awesome. That you should care for such as I to talk to me, to want to have a relationship with me. Many a man has done this. He fell on his face, overwhelmed with the glory of God, the mercy of God, the majesty of God. And all through the Bible, the servants of God do this. Peter did this when the Lord blessed him with a great catch. He, he, he covered himself up and said, Lord, I'm not worthy to even be in your presence. When he realized that God had done something for him. The 24 elders in the book of Revelation, as they see the Lord and they're in, they're in Revelation, they fall in their place over and over again. Read through Revelation, you'll see them. I call them the flat-nosed elders because they're always falling on their face. That must hurt, by the way. James, the brother of Jesus, was called old camel knees because he was on his knees so often. And John, the apostle, we know in Revelation chapter 1, when he saw the Lord, what happened? When he saw the, 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 the revelation of Jesus Christ, he fell on his face as a dead man, he says. Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah experienced the Lord, the presence of the Lord, it says the, he said that I'm undone and I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell with the people of unclean lips. Humility, brokenness before God when he speaks to you. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you just got on your knees and just said, God, you're awesome. You're just amazing. Let me encourage you to do it. So God says in verse four, as for me, behold, the covenant is with you. You shall be a father of many nations. And no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. And I'll make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. We've been calling him Abraham all the time because that's the way we refer to him. But now we can officially call him Abraham. Because his name is officially changed from Abram to Abraham. Abraham, the father of many nations. By the way, Abram means uh, exalted father or father of many. Abraham means father of many nations. Now, Abram may, may have been feeling like he wasn't living up to his first name, but now his second name is a greater name than the first name. And God changes names at times through the scripture, doesn't he? He takes Jacob, the heel catcher, the, the sneaky thief, the, the scoundrel, and he says, yeah, I'm going to change your name. I don't like the name scoundrel for you. 
although you are one. <laughs> and he says, I know, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to make your name Israel, governed by God. Or Simon. We know Simon was, you know, hanging out with Jesus, and Jesus said, you shall be called Peter, not Simon. By the way, Simon means shifting sand. At times, Peter was shifting sand. But Jesus said, I'm going to make you a rock. I'm going to stabilize your life. God changed names at times. We're going to see he's going to change Sarai's name. Paul switched to Paul. Now, by the way, Paul, a lot of people put Paul and say God changed Paul's name from Saul to Paul. That's not really true. It never says that God did it. Actually, it just says, and he began, it says, and he was also called Paul. Saul, who was also called Paul. So he had the name Saul, which was his Hebrew name, and Paul was his Roman name. So when he began to, uh, to minister to the Gentiles, he used the name Paul because it was more an acceptable name to use. Also, some have tied it into the first conversion, the name of the man of his first conversion, that Paul converted someone. The first one who came to Christ was named Paulus. Paul, same name. So maybe he honor, was honoring him. We don't know. But God changed Abram's name from Abram to Abraham because it, 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 because the latter spoke of the future role of what he would become. And he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you. I want you to notice that it's God saying, I will. He says, I have made you the father of nation. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make the nations of you. I don't need your help, babe. I'm going to do this. For generations and for the everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And I give you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger in a land of Canaan and an everlasting possession. I will be their God. By the way, anybody who wants to argue with you about who owns the nation of Israel, what Israel ought to be, take them to this verse. Verse 8, chapter 17. God says, I will give it to you. Israel. It is Israel's land, no matter what the Palestinians say, no matter what the UN says, no matter what our own country says, no matter what Russia says, no matter what anybody says. God says it's Israel. And that's the fourth time, by the way, he tells them he'll give them the land. So you can go back and cross-reference those if you want to. God has repeatedly said that he would give the land to Abraham and his descendants. We live in a time when this promise is being disputed by man, but just because man disputes it doesn't make it tr not true. Man can argue about whatever they want to argue about. Man calls evil good and good evil every day. Actually, let's, let's just take this verse and have the people who are battling over the Middle East just read this verse and everything's settled. You think that might work? <laughs> and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant which you'll, you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. 
And he who, has, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or, or bought with money from a foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, if I was Abraham right about now, I'd say, well, God, how about a tattoo? <laughs> Could we do something a little different than this foreskin thing? You know, would it be my choice? You say, why did God choose this? I mean, why not something else? But the sign is in his body. And why circumcision? It can, it can even seem kind of strange. But there's a, there's a point to it, I believe. God, circumcision was something that Abraham needed. Isn't it interesting that Abraham strayed intimately and God says, I'm going to deal with your intimacy. I'm going to have you be cut, your flesh be cut intimately because I want an intimate relationship with you. it would remind them that God wanted them to cut themselves off from their flesh. To, to not allow the flesh to control their life. And that's, that's the picture of what this, this circumcision rite that the Jews were given. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul says of circumcision, in him you also are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh and by the circumcision of Christ. Now, we understand that in the New Testament, circumcision became a whole nother battle. It became, they, 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 they got connected to the physical circumcision so much so they believed that Gentiles had to be circumcised in order to really walk with God. And Paul corrected them on that. And it was a big battle within the early church. And the point is that Paul makes the point both in Colossians and in Romans that it is a circumcision of the heart. In Romans chapter four or 2, verse 25, he says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. See, you see, it's not about the physical cutting of the flesh. That was the sign of the contract. That was the sign of the promise. That was the sign of the relationship. And he says, will not physical uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and, uh, and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is a Jew outwardly, nor is circumcision that is outward of the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praises from men 
not from men, but from God. You see, the Old Testament covenant was something God gave to the Jews. It's not something he gave to the church. So circumcision isn't the issue today. But it was the sign of that day. And it's also interesting the way he tells them to do it. He says, on the eighth day, let every young child. In his book, uh, None of These Diseases, Emmanuel Chetikovsky, I, name, I think his name was, talks about this. And he says how on the first five days of an infant's life, there is a development of the, of the blood system going on. And if you were to do a circumcision that early, they bleed a lot. In fact, this has happened with infants because they don't always do it on the eighth day anymore. And I actually know of some stories where the circumcision went bad. But if you wait till the eighth day, the blood has coagulated exactly the way it needs to, and it's the best time to do it with the least pain. Gee, who knew that? But God. And, and so God had this plan. He said, this is the way we're going to do it. And this is what I want. And it's, it's God's unveiling more information to Abraham about his direction and where things are to go. And so now he says, I will, he says to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Now, by the way, we don't know exactly what Sarai means. Some commentators have said it means contentious woman. I would never say that of a woman. <laughs> but Sarah means princess. And the idea is that she would be the mother of princes. She's going to have two sons who are going to be men of great nations. And he says, I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. <laughs> She's going to be a prominent woman. Now, we saw that Abraham had already had this one son. We know his name was Ishmael from Hagar. But the promise was for Abraham and Sarah. You see, it was a specific promise God gave. It's not, it's not like, well, you're going to have a kid, and I'm going to bless the kid. No, no. This is specific. God says, I'm going to give you a son. He's going to come from your loins to your wife, Sarah. Now, at this point, Sarah is about 90. Now, we already mentioned when he was 85 and she was 75. At that point, it was 60 years. Now it's another, do the math. Where's the math teachers in here? Another 15 years, right? So that's 75 years now. They've been waiting 75 years to have a baby. I mean, when young couples get married, this is one of the things we do. We talk about, you know. I say it at almost every wedding. I talk about how they're, they're going to be blessed one day. Be fruitful and multiply. The grandparents always like when I tell them that. <laughs> Here, she's been waiting 75 years. I remember I did this one wedding. 
I wasn't going to tell the story, but it just came to mind. I did this one wedding, and, and they, they were a little bit older. They weren't older, older, but they were, in the, you know, like in their 40s. And uh, so, you know, they came, and I, I mentioned something about them having a baby, and everybody laughed, including them. But wouldn't you know what happened? I think it was maybe two years later. They're like, you were a prophet, Pastor Chris. <laughs> that kid's about 15 years old now, I think. <laughs> but imagine, I'm sure Abraham and Sarah had talked about, wouldn't it be great to have a child? Wouldn't it be great to have a kid? When do you, when do you think this might happen, Abraham might have said to her? She'd be like, I don't have control over this. And then, of course, she'd getting older, and she had gone through all the changes of life. And nothing's happening. So Abraham fell on his face. Again, now he, this is twice he's fallen on his face. And he laughed. <laughs> now, she's, she's going to laugh, too, when the promise comes. She laughs. Now, he laughs. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? <laughs> He's like, God, you, are you looking at me? I mean, look at me. Are you kidding? And shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? I mean, again, imagine if I stood up here tonight and I said, I've got news for you. I wouldn't call it good news. I have got news for you. My wife and I are miraculously having a baby. Listen, we watched our grandkids last week for two days. And I said, they're made to be with their mother. I love them in small doses. Two days overnight is not like it's okay, I guess. When the weather's better, it's better because I can go play golf and they'll come back and see him. <laughs> I mean, I, it's just harder when you get older. It's like they, and then when we're done, we, like I didn't even hardly do anything. Marion does all this work. We're done. We're like, <laughs> we're completely zombied, you know? And God says, no. He, oh, Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. He, he, he can't get this. He, he loves Ishmael. He's, he, it's his boy. And, you know, you kind of think Abraham's like, hey, we don't have to go through all that rigmarole. You know, remember, remember this Ishmael, this, this guy over here. She don't have to get pregnant. We're good. We don't have to go through the baby thing. He's already 13 years old, <laughs> 14 years old. He loves him. He, and, you know, just because he's a work of the flesh doesn't mean Abraham shouldn't love him, right? Just because it was a mistaken baby doesn't mean you don't love him. There's still a love for that child. Abraham still wanted the best for his son. It's his boy. He tries to present him to God in this way. He wants to promote his son. God says no. Because that wasn't God's plan. And God is sovereign and makes his own choices. He says, no, Sarah, your wife, not your maidservant, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. God names him before he's born, 
And he names them because of the joy he'll bring into their life. And the joy that he'll ultimately bring into the world because he's of the lineage and it leads to none other than Jesus Christ. He says, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. I would imagine Abraham never left at this again. And as we close this point of this, turn over to Romans chapter 4 with me. Because the promise that he's talking about here is the promise of the coming of Christ. Remember that the Old Testament speaks of him. It points to him. So in Romans chapter 4, verse 13, he says, For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It wasn't because Abraham was circumcised. It wasn't because he was perfect. It says that Abraham obeyed God and it was accounted to him, it was put into his account as righteousness. Very interesting. Uh, And then he goes on to say, if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith. I I got that one underlined. Not being weak in faith. I don't know about you, but as you read this story, you think Abraham at some points was weak in, in faith, right? But you know what's wonderful about the Old Testament? It always looks through the eyes of grace at these characters. It always talks about them in this, in this glorious way of how God used their life. And the main thread and theme of their life instead of the one thing they did wrong or three number of things they did wrong. And yet the Old Testament reports that they did these things wrong because that's the truth. But the New Testament looks at these characters, looks at these men of faith as through his eyes. And that's how God looks at you. You realize that God looks at you through the eyes of grace and faith. Not through your behavior. None of us can make it on our own behavior. Not one. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you're not right with Christ, you're not sure about your relationship with Christ, let me just say that to you. Clearly, turn to him. 
His grace is sufficient. He can save you no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. He can pull you out of it. He can bring you into the kingdom of God because he died for you. And he wants you in his kingdom. And we want you in it. If you don't know him, we want you to know him. I want you to get saved tonight if you don't know Jesus Christ. Look at, and, and not, help, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, I love this, already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Listen, he was almost dead and she was more dead even. I mean, it's like, who's more dead? They're both dead. <laughs> but God can bring death to life. He raises a dead. And look what it says in verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Well, I believe that that was true. Obviously, it's true because the New Testament says it. But somewhere in that 13 years is when it happened, right? He did not waver at the promise of God. Ishmael. And yet he says he didn't waver. So somehow, even though Abraham did what he did, he still believed in the promise of God. Don't ask me to explain that completely. And being fully convinced that he had, that what he had been promised, what had been promised, he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, watch this. Look at verse 23. Now, it, is not, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up for our justification. Amen to that, right? See, it's not just about Abraham. It's about us. That promise is for you and for your children and to all who are far off. It's the promise of the Spirit of God working your life. It's the promise of going to heaven because of what Jesus did. And this is the thread. This is the scarlet thread of the Messiah coming through and pointing to Christ. Justification. Remember what that means, right? Just as if I never did. That's the way God sees you. Now, if I hang out with you, I'm not going to see you as justified. I'll see your flaws. You'll see my flaws. But God looks at you and he says, you're, you're perfect in my eyes because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Oh, if we could grab this. If we could get a hold of this in our walks with God. To know how God sees us. It would free us from our hang-ups. We get so self-focused, right? What was me about this and that? God just, God wants to free us and then use our lives. And the more free you are in your walk with God and in your relationship with God and knowing your position in Christ, the more free you are to be used by him. And so you'll walk in the spirit. Well, back to Genesis. And as for Ishmael, God didn't forget him. I've heard you. 
Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. And he shall begot 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. And by the way, that happens because as we heard even last week, and you've heard this before, that the, the, the Muslim nations, the Muslim Arab nations tie themselves to Ishmael and the Arab group, the Arab uh, people are connected to Ishmael and they, are, they have been mighty nations who are Arab nations. Throughout the centuries, there have been mighty nations. Now, the Muslim group takes it further. They believe that God would fulfill the covenant through Ishmael. And they believe that they actually claim that they are heirs of the land. And this is where the battle comes in in Israel. And history confirms that they believe this, that this is, and there has been a battle between the Arabs and the Jews for centuries and centuries. They go so far, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but they go so far as to claim the call of God to Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in Genesis chapter 22 was actually not Isaac, it was Ishmael. And the one who makes that claim is Muhammad. But Muhammad lived 600 years after Christ. So you're talking about a period of time of, of 2,500 years plus that has gone by. And he's changing the word of God. See, if, you, if, if, if someone leans toward Islam, right here, right here in Genesis, you can take them right to Genesis. You can say, wait a minute. Genesis 22 says this was Isaac. Your prophet says it was, it, was, it was Ishmael. You have to totally discredit the Bible to believe Muhammad. Muhammad says that he had the clearer interpretation of it. And that's how it came about that he, they, he taught that to his, his people. And so this, this, this is a false religion. They try to tell you that the Islam people will say that they worship the same God. They do not worship the same God. They worship a false god. They worship the moon god. And by the way, as history continues, as the word of God continues, you never hear much about Ishmael. We're going to cover one more thing in the, in the scriptures about Ishmael, and you'll never hear him again. Now, you'll hear of his descendants, and you'll hear of, of the battles that go on, but not Ishmael himself. And this in itself is enough to prove that Islam is a false religion. Because changing the unchangeable word of God makes you false, period. Remember, God never asked for Ishmael. God didn't say, I want you to have an Ishmael. They got impatient. They took steps on their own. So should God change his mind because Abraham's negotiating with him? God should change his mind and say, well, it's okay. Let this one live before me. No. God has a plan. He's sovereign. He does what he chooses. And he's God. He has the right to do that. There's a couple things we should know about life. I'm not God. He is. And he can do whatever he wants. That's just the truth. And so these Arab nations are greatly blessed by God in, in many ways. And by the way, clearly God loves them. 
God is not against the Arab nations or the Arab people. He has a love for them and desires for them to come to Christ. And you can argue, by the way, that God chose the Jewish people. Your argument isn't with me. It's with the Bible and with God. You know, people can say, well, why choose, why'd he choose them? Because he's God and he wanted to. <laughs> I don't know. Ask him. Verse 21, he says, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son. Abraham immediately obeys. And all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him. By the way, this put them in a vulnerable position that they could be attacked, but they trusted God. Abraham trusted God. And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised with his son and all the men of his house, born in the house, who bought with the money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So Abraham's obedience. So our lesson tonight, though, is walk with God. He says, walk with me. I am the Lord your God. Walk with me. He just wants you. He just wants a relationship with you. So just walk with him. I love the saying of an old-time pastor I used to listen to on the radio. He'd say, walk with the king. What was it? Walk with the king and be a blessing. That was it. Dr. Cook. I got on the old 99-1 when it was an older 99-1. <laughs> so may the Lord bless you tonight as you walk with the Lord. May you, may you trust in him. May his, may his life, may your life be about him and his leading. And may his grace shine upon your life. And if you don't know him tonight, if you're not sure of your relationship with Jesus, please, let's make tonight the night. I beseech you, submit your heart. You'll never regret it. I have one regret about my salvation, that I didn't do it sooner. Oh, if I could have walked with the Lord as a young kid. I came at 22 years old, almost 23. That was 43 years ago in March. Praise the Lord. And I'm still just beginning to learn. <laughs> it's a funny thing how when you're first saved, when I was first, for the first couple of years I was saved, I said, you know, I'm getting really close to perfection. Like, like I'm really, like, I'm with, and when I was about five years in the Lord, I'm like, I think, I think I'm, I'm really almost there. <laughs> and then, you know, seven years in the Lord, I'm like, man, I'm a wretch. <laughs> and 10 years, I'm like, boy, I, I'm getting worse. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, because as you get older in the Lord, you, you see things that are sin that you never even knew were sin when you're first saved. You never even thought about it. You thought, oh, this is okay. I'm good with this. 
And then as you grow in the Lord, you're like, oh, man, I did that a lot back then. <laughs> the Lord's convicting you. And now after 43 years, I, I just say, Lord, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Please let me just be where I'm supposed to be. But if you don't know Christ, listen, I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. And as I pray this prayer, if you don't know Jesus, start tonight. If you know him and you've been struggling, he says to you as he says to Abraham, walk with me. Walk before me. He wants relationship. That's what he's all about. He wants relationship so badly with you, he sent Christ to die so he could have it with you.